So glad that you're here. We're going to get right into uh, the message this morning. We've been talking about the blessed life. And over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking what that looks like for us to have a blessed life where we're really inviting. And that's really been the key element to this series. We are choosing, making decisions, making choices so that we can invite the blessing of God in our lives because God's blessing is not something that just sneaks up behind you in Walmart and tackles you and says, I'm about to bless you, all right? We, we have to make decisions sometimes, and a lot of that has been what we've been unpacking over the last few weeks, starting with community, our life groups encouraging you, if you'd make the decision to carve out some time and get into community with other believers, that opens up the door for God to bless you and cause you to be a blessing within those spaces. Last week, we talked about generosity and how God has been so generous to us, and that this one truth that, that remains, the gospel is free. Praise God, Right? But it costs something to those who give it away. And that's what God did for us. He gave us his son, his one and only son, the blood of Jesus to give us salvation. And we likewise get the opportunity to give away the gospel in the way that we give back to the church, that we send missionaries around the world, that we do outreaches. This is the ability that God has given us to pay that forward to the world. But today I want to talk about worship, all right? Because here's the goal, again, and I want to lay this out for you. Here's what I want for you, all right? Fast forward, December 31 of this year, I want you to be sitting in your living room if you're over the age of 30 or with other people if you're under the age of 30 and thinking to yourself, I can't imagine God being better to me next year than he has been to me this year. But here's the truth. There are steps, there are choices along the way that we have to make, that we have to invite that presence of God. We've been talking a lot out of James 1.12 and this promise of God's blessing is this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is where we live. It's life. It's everyday decisions and choices and the things that we encounter and the decisions that we have to make that in the midst of all of that, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose fellowship. I'm going to choose generosity. And today I want to tell you about choosing worship. But I want to go to the book of Romans If you'd like to go there with me, we're going to start in Romans chapter 11. You can go in your own Bible. We have Bibles in each of the pews. And if you don't know where the book of Romans is, it's about page 944 in our Bibles in the pews. If you have your own Bible, I have no idea what page that is, so I can't even guess. But Romans 12 is one of my favorite verses, 12, 1 and 2, and you've heard me reference it before, but there's something that takes place right before that in chapter 11 that we need to start with before we can read that today. Because in the book of Romans, Paul has been describing to the Roman church the call that God has placed on them to come out from the rest of the world and to live godly lives. And then he explains, this is like a hinge point right here starting at chapter 11, verse 30, where he explains why this is so important and then goes on to explain how to do it, which we're going to unpack this morning. So chapter 11, verse 30, here's what it says. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now, this is really important. Before I go on here, I I want to start with this. God's chosen people, right, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, they were the ones that God had chosen to work his miracles through, to show his power and strength through, to build up. And he, he wanted to give them salvation through Jesus. And here's what Paul is saying. They rebelled against God. They rejected the work of God. And because of that rejection, you, who were not the people of God, have been given the mercy of God instead of them. 
Now you're the receivers of it. And then he builds on this going into chapter 12, okay? So he says that, and then he says this. And so, all right, you received a mercy you did not deserve. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, a few moments ago, we were singing some songs in what we call a worship service, right? You guys all know this, we call worship, right? And we sing some worship songs and we put some things on the screen and we have people who play instruments. And I'm very grateful for our worship team. Uh, can I tell you, the worship team works very hard outside and on, uh, of the time in the church doing extra rehearsals and all that stuff just to have a time of worship that we can enjoy together. And I really appreciate what they do. But here's the truth. Worship is not singing. Worship is not instruments. Worship is not lyrics. Worship is not a portion of a church service. Worship, as described in the, in the Bible, is something that we do with our everyday lives. And this is exactly what Paul is speaking to in Romans chapter 12. And there are a couple words here in this. And, and again, the original languages of the Bible, Old Testament is written in Hebrew. New Testament is written in Greek and Aramaic. There are a lot of things that I see in old, like the word studies, that it's like it takes a sentence to describe what they're saying in one word. And there's a couple words in this that are really important for us to understand because we might miss their meaning. First of all is that word worship. That word worship is latreia. Latreia means that I am giving myself in service to God. I'm serving him with all that I am. And so you kind of put that in there and he's saying, dear brothers and sisters, I encourage you to serve God with all you are. This is truly the way that you serve him. And the other word is bodies. Now, we hear the word body and what do we think? That thing that we got out of bed, we brushed its teeth, we combed its hair, and we put something acceptable on to go to church. Thank you for doing that, all right? Your neighbors especially appreciate that you brushed your teeth. We're so grateful. This is not what it's speaking to. The word here is soma, and soma means your entirety, your whole person, everything about you, every fiber of your being. And so when we put these two ideas together, he's saying, listen, you've got to give God all that you are because of all that he has done for you, a living and holy sacrifice, because this is really the only way to worship him. This is the only way. It's, it's not like, well, I'll just keep singing lots of songs. I'll memorize all of them. When I come to worship services, I'll even clap. Now, some of y'all, I feel like we got to do clapping lessons. It's like one hand down, one hand up, and you just bring them together. It, it's just, that's, that's it. Okay, that's all. We'll do that lesson later. Right? <laughs> We, we need to, you know, there are people who raise their hands in worship, who dance in worship, and all of those things are great, they're wonderful, but this is the worship that God says that he's calling us to, is lives that are lived for his glory. This is how you truly serve him. This is how you truly worship him. It's to give all that you are to God. And so what does that look like? I want to unpack that in these next few cha- uh, minutes here, over a few chapters that we're going to look at. We're going to go to Luke chapter 18. And I want to read to you something that Jesus described, because he's looking at two different individuals, one of which is a Pharisee, okay? Now, you probably have heard that word Pharisee before, but let me just give you an easier definition of what a Pharisee is. It's a religious fanatic, 
okay? This guy, the Pharisees, they are extremely religious. They wear all the right robes and they have tassels and all these things and they walk around with prayer boxes and I mean, they do everything to the T to be religious. And Jesus spends most of his ministry combating with them to tell them, you continue to act religious, but in your hearts, you don't even know me. And so here's what he speaks to about two different people, one of which is this Pharisee. Luke chapter 10, verse, or 18, verses 10 to 14. It says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a religious fanatic. That's that Pharisee, okay? And the other was a despised tax collector. Now, you may not know what a Pharisee is, but how many of you all know what a tax collector is, right? It's just like, we get that, uh, that idea. The religious fanatic stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I think that's in the Massey version. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner and not that religious fanatic returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Church, this is a very important part of inviting God's blessing in our lives. Scripture tells us repeatedly, we see this all through Jesus' ministry. You go into the book of James chapter four, verses six through 10, and it is very clear this idea that if you are a person who is arrogant and proud, God himself will oppose you. God himself stands in opposition to you. But if you have a heart that comes in with a little bit of humility, then God himself gets behind you. And it all hinges on this one word, and it's not a word that we're very uh, fond of, okay? It's called remorse, remorse remorse for the fact that I used to be so covered in sin and I had so many things in my life but God loved me enough to send his one and only son like we said last week he was so generous that he gave the best of himself to save me when I could not save myself and I know what kind of person I was I know the things that I did I know every detail of my past and I have remorse for it God please forgive me now I want to ask you this in in light of blessing that we're hoping to receive from God in 2024. Imagine you, yourself, your personal one and only self, has a gift to give to somebody. Which one do you want to bless? The person that you go up to who goes, oh, wow, thank you, but I really don't deserve that. Like, that is so kind of you, but that's just, it's far more generous than what I deserve. And that, that's so, like, maybe there's other people who deserve it. I just, that person, or... Heck yeah, give me that. That's sweet. I'm going to go buy some new shoes. Which one do you want to bless? Right? The humble one. The one that steps back and is just so understanding of the fact that they don't deserve what they're giving. And this is part of what God speaks to us in humility. Church, if we don't want to be in that other side of this where God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what we read in James chapter four. If we don't want God to be in opposition to us, then coming into a place of humility is so important. 
This religious guy, this, this Pharisee stood so proud of himself for everything that he's done. Look how religious I am. I go to church all the time. I give all the time. I volunteer all the time. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But the man who really gets it is the one who is so remorseful with his own life. He says he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He keeps his head down. And in a display of something we don't really understand, but it was a physical display of remorse, it says he beats his chest. He says, woe is me. God, forgive me. I'm a sinful man. I do not deserve you. I do not deserve your mercies. I do not deserve everything you've given to me. And it is this humility that sets the platform for us to be able to worship God with our lives. This place from which we come that says, I do not deserve what God has given to me. I mean, he's been so gracious and so generous to me. What could I do except to give back to him everything that I am? I want to bless God with all that I am. Well, how do we do that? Romans 12, verse 2 tells us exactly how to do it, all right? So go back to Romans 12. We already read verse 1. Now here's what verse 2 says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here's what he basically says. If the rest of the world is doing it and they think it's okay, don't do it. If the Bible says to do this and God's challenging us, do that instead. Even though more people are over here doing this, you keep yourself over here and say, God, transform the way that I think. Transform the way that I see. Transform the way that I act and respond and reason. Transform these things within me because it is a work of the Holy Spirit to do that. Listen, you can't transform yourself. You have to allow God to work on you and it is a process and some of you can testify it takes a long time to go through that refining process. But he says this, this is, the, this is how we truly worship God is to turn our backs on the things of this world. To turn our backs on the things that are against what God says, that go in the face of humility. Because listen, I don't know about you, I look around the world and I don't see a whole lot of humility going on in our culture. I don't see a whole lot of humility going on in the world. In fact, uh, we have dedicated to ourselves to a new thing that we even call Pride Month. We're like, this is it, this is what we're doing, God. We're doubling down on this, we're gonna live this way. We're gonna, we're gonna instill that, we're gonna accept it and embrace it. We're gonna be against God. And listen, when we do that, we put ourselves in the place where we are in opposition to God and acting with arrogance. And God says, I will humble that. I will put it down. I will make sure that you are reduced. Why? Because God wants to show how powerful he is or because he wants to prove that he's bigger and stronger? No, here's why. God says, I am working on you to do a transformational work, like we said last week, where I'm taking that heart of selfishness out of you and putting in the heart of my son, Jesus. And for as long as you remain boastful, proud, and rude, and self-seeking, I cannot work in you, and I am not working in you. This transformation of your heart is what's so important, and it's called this, godly living. Living in a way that honors what God has done for us. Now, I want to be very clear about this, because we don't want to get these two ideas mixed up. Godly living is not the way that we become saved, 
God doesn't come in and rescue us because we act so good and do so many right things. It doesn't work that way. In fact, Paul expresses to the church, he says, listen, none of us are saved by that. We're saved by grace. Otherwise, we'd all be able to walk around even boasting more, more arrogance, right? I earned it. I deserved it. I earned it. I deserve it. He says, no, it's a gift. God has given us a gift. But he says, godly living is the way that we give back. And then he, I want to read this for you out of 2 Peter as we get ready to close out our time together. Because this is not something God has told us to do on our own. There are promises that God has given to us as we choose godly living. And the way that we do this is outlined for us in 2 Peter. Here's what it says in verses 3 to 11. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. It means you don't have to do it on your own. Not your own strength, not your own ideas. It says God's giving this to you. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What's he saying? Don't conform to the world. God's given you everything that you need to not fall into that temptation, to live and be as though you, you yourself had the divine nature of God within you. Then he goes on to say this. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Decisions, decisions, decisions. There are choices that have to be made. Am I going to choose to live for self or am I going to choose to live for God? He says, add to your faith, right? So we start with faith. We know that faith is foundational. It's the very beginning of our relationship with God. He says, add to your faith some moral excellence. Now, I don't know if you think that there's an age in which moral excellence just comes into you, but it doesn't happen that way. It's a decision that we make. I want to live a godly life. I want to put God's things ahead of my things. I want to forsake the things of the world to live in the way that God has called me to live. He says, to your moral excellence, I'll add knowledge and I'll add self-control and I'll add patient endurance and I'll add godliness and brotherly affection and love for everyone. He goes through these, all these things he says are going to be added, 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 increased, multiplied inside of you. But there's a huge difference here because he's telling them, you've got to make this decision. You've got to choose this. You've got to, you've got to be the one 
who has enough integrity and love for the Lord to say, this is the life that I'm going to live. I choose this life for Jesus. And church, it's not easy, but it is the means by which we worship God and invite his blessing. It's how we worship him. It's how we truly serve him. In, in honesty, it's the only way that we can truly worship him and truly serve him. Because he says this, if you're not growing in these things, if there, isn't, if there isn't a transformation process that's continually at work inside of you, if that's not happening, what does he say? You're either short-sighted or blind. You have lost sight of what God has done for you. That's what he's saying to them. If you're not growing this way, you have lost sight of everything that God has done for you. You've missed it. And you're thinking that it's all about you. Church, it's something that we do because it's honoring to God. This godly living changes our relationship with Jesus. You know, I love in Scripture, God uses the metaphor of marriage to describe what it means to be in relationship with Him. You know, I was thinking about that this week and just this idea of how, you know, when you're young and you're single and you're not married, right? You're kind of just living for self. You're doing your thing. And you decide one day, I want to be in relationship with somebody. At least hopefully this is how you do it, right? But there's a first step to this. If I'm going to be in relationship with somebody, I have to stop thinking about myself so much because I'm going to have to think about somebody else more. And so we start to just this death to self process in order to get into that relationship. And then comes that wonderful day where we all watch as the bride comes down and we celebrate wedding days and we now pronounce Mr. and Mrs. and we all celebrate and it's exciting, but a big part of that process, and it's not something that's in a lot of services anymore, is the promise, the commitment within that covenantal relationship that says, I forsake all others for you. And this is the, the imagery, the metaphor that God uses to describe our relationship with him. Will you forsake everything else for me? God's already proven his side of it. He's like, I've given everything to pursue you. I, I have, there's nothing I would hold back. I've given all of myself to pursue you. But then this image that he uses, will you make the decision to forsake everything else in this world for relationship with me and it will be counter to your culture it'll be counter to what everybody else thinks is acceptable there will be times that your teenage children will tell you well nobody else thinks that way dad believe me I can testify nobody else's parents care about that I don't know what to tell you I'm trying to raise you to love Jesus church we make that decision we invite God's blessing. We invite it. God is merciful. and I, God sometimes blesses us even in the midst of our brokenness. I'm not going to say that God doesn't ever bless us unless we make these decisions. But I can tell you this as we look through Scripture. These are some of the things that are so imperative for us this year. If we want to invite the blessing of God, we've got to choose community. We've got to choose generosity. We've got to choose lives that worship Jesus. Not just on Sunday, not just Sunday and Wednesday, but every day, every hour, every minute of our lives and with every fiber of our being. Meaning there's no place where I'm just like, 
well, I'm doing almost as good here, but yeah, well, just don't worry about that. It's, that's not as big of it. God wants all of it. And God doesn't want your perfected areas. He wants all of you. He doesn't want the things that you've got right. He'll take your wrongs too. He wants to work and you just release that to God and say, God, help me to live for your glory. I want to live a godly life. Church, I can promise you this because I know this is God's goodness at work. If you make these decisions, it transforms you so radically that it doesn't matter what else is going on in the world around you. You can sit down and say, I'm blessed. That's not measured the way we might think, right? It may not be, well, I got a new house this year and five new cars and a new wardrobe. And when I walk outside, it rains money now. I'm blessed. Because isn't that how we define blessing sometimes? I'm waiting for all the material things of this world to come into alignment and then I'll know how blessed I am. Church, this is the reality of what God's transforming in our minds. It's not just about the material things. It's not about the things of this world. He says, I'm calling you to forsake all of that. And as you follow me and choose me, you will be blessed. And you'll sit down and you'll look at even the chaos of the world around you and just be grateful for how good God has been. That doesn't mean it'll be easy. Listen, nobody promised that following Jesus would be easy. It's not in Scripture. It's a sacrifice. But when we do it, that's how we truly worship Him. We pray with me? God, we thank You that You love us, that You bless us, that You care for us, that You protect us. Even in the midst sometimes of very ungodly living, you have been very merciful to many of us. But Lord, there's a call that you've placed in our lives to be true worshipers. People who don't just say they love you, but people whose lives reflect the love that they have for you. And Lord, you're calling us to that place as true worshipers to live lives that are sacrificed and surrendered to you because this is how we truly worship you. It's the only way to truly serve you. Anything else that we hold back is just a distance that we create between us and you, God. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak that into our lives and that there would be a, a moment of just an awakening for us, God, where we say, I just wanna be so completely surrendered to God. I want to be so dedicated to God that godly living isn't something that I have to do, but it's something that I get to do because I'm giving back to God in response to all that he has given for me. Churches, we're in prayer. and I just want to ask you this morning, if you're here and you know of yourself, you know where you're at, and maybe you see corners of your life areas of your life and you say these are not areas of worship for God but I want to ask God I want to invite God into those areas of my life and surrender those so that they can become the areas so that all of me is worshiping Jesus if that's you can I just ask you to slip up a hand I'm going to pray with you this morning yeah yeah quite a few of us I want my life to be worshiped not just a song Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Yeah. Will you stand with me as we get ready to close out together? In Matthew chapter 18, 
Jesus is speaking about those religious fanatics and about the nation of Israel. And here's what he says. With their lips, they praise me. They worship me. But their hearts are far from me. And that was what really broke his heart. It's because he didn't come to save lips. He came to save hearts. He came to save lives. And in moments like these, we know the Holy Spirit's just speaking to us. There are areas, and we know, are not lining up with what it means to live a life of worship for Jesus. And so we raise our hands, and that's great. But in 90 seconds, we're going to walk out those doors. And there are decisions to make. There are choices to make. There are things that we will encounter that will confront us. And in that moment, I want to encourage you. Whether it's the thing you feel like you're doing best at or the thing you think you're doing worst at. God, I want to make this worship for you. I want to worship you in this, through this. Not despite it, but through it and because of it. It doesn't change here, it just starts here. And I want to pray with you that God would give you the means to do that. So Lord, I just pray right now for every person in this room, those watching us online. And God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit conviction that even now in this space is just speaking to us. There are areas where your worship is not fully surrendered to me. God, thank you for that. Thank you for conviction. It means you're still working on us. You haven't abandoned us or forsaken us. You haven't turned your back on us or given up hope for our future. You're still speaking, God, to the very existence of who we are because you still love us and you still have a plan for us and you still want to see good things for our lives. So God, thank you for that conviction. May it challenge us to take the steps and make the decisions that will bring us to the place of change so that our lives will become an act of worship for your glory. God, I pray for everyone this week that as we're out in the world, that we would be so keenly aware of the times and places where we can choose you or choose self, where we can choose righteousness or choose the way the rest of the world is. And God, we want to invite your blessing in our lives this year. And I pray that you would speak that over us that as we draw close to you and close to your heart, as we humble our hearts before you in worship, then you can begin to exalt us and lift us up. So I thank you for today, God. I thank you for the decisions that will be made. I thank you for the hard choices that will be made today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just keep speaking, keep challenging, keep convicting, because it's a work that you're doing in us that is not yet complete. We give it into your hands, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen to me, church. When the Holy Spirit says something today, say yes. Say yes, do it. Don't say tomorrow. Do it today and honor Jesus. Lord bless you. Our prayer team will be up here at the front if you need prayer this morning. Lord bless you as you go. Love on each other and encourage each other in the hope of Jesus.